Well, this morning we're continuing our series all about the truth, and the reason we're preaching or teaching on the truth is because we're in the Gospel of Luke, and that's the reason he wrote this particular story or biography about Jesus. Uh, he wanted to lay it out so that we might know the truth about this, this one who came to change everything about life. And as we looked at last week, as you, as you think about the Gospel of Luke, and if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 12. If you don't have one, there should be one around you in one of the chairs, uh, underneath one of the chairs. Is that as Luke recorded for us the life about Jesus, he wanted us to learn the truth about Jesus. But not only the truth about Jesus, but he also wanted us to learn the truth from Jesus. He not only wanted us to know what we ought to believe about him, but why we ought to believe it. And then not only why we ought to believe it, is how do we live it out? And it all begins by knowing him, but then it doesn't stop there in terms because that, that's a lifelong pursuit as we get to know him more and more and more and we deepen our relationship with him. And so it's really all about the truth. And we're in that part of the Gospel of Luke in which he's, he's turning a corner. He's been persuading people to follow Jesus. And there are some who have come to that place in their life where they have just said no too many times and they've rejected him. And we never know when that happens in an individual life, but we really pray this morning that you haven't come to that point where you're still on that journey if you haven't known him and come to that place where you, you want to make that most important choice and decision is to know Jesus and to follow him. But now he turns to his followers and says, I want to tell you a little bit about life and, and some of the things you're going to encounter in life. And I want you to be prepared to live out your faith. And really, as he was sharing this, they were, they were getting a little concerned. They were getting a little worried because he was calling them into a life that they thought possibly would eliminate the issues and challenges and problems, but he really said that I'm going to add to them. Uh, your, your life is going to be filled with the presence of God, but it's going to be filled with a lot more. And, and whatever you think you've encountered now in life, let just raise the temperature up. And, and so as he began this part of the section in the Gospel of Luke, he talked about some things and said, look, at, there's some people who are trying to infect you, not with the flu bug, but with something greater, much greater. And, and that is a spiritual disease that can just ruin your life and so he said don't fall into the leaven of the pharisees the religious leaders the, the people you thought you could look up to and say they've got the truth all i need to do is listen to them and, and do what they do but he said that's the exact thing you should not do don't let the the religious teachings of those who think they know about god but don't infect you in a way that will destroy you and then he said if you think i'm calling you a life that will be filled with no fear i want you to know that you need a fear but not fear what you, what you normally fear. I want you to fear God. And as you think about what it means to fear God, it's, it's to realize that you don't want to make God sad. You don't want to make God angry. You don't want to make God fall, look at your life and, and, and just be filled with remorse that, that he, he made you. And, and so God invites us to know him. And if we know him, we don't have to be filled with fear because perfect love casts out fear. And then he looked at an issue that people struggle with is, is the whole issue of money. And so last week we talked about the truth about money, and, and we only touched on it. But, but basically, if we go through life and, and our greatest concern is are we going to have enough, uh, then um, Jesus is saying, look, you've, you've missed it. And he's going to amplify that theme this morning as we look at not the truth about money, but the truth about worry. Well, let, me, uh, let me just... Let's say, this is making sure that we're all on the same page here. Has anyone ever worried in their life? Just raise your hand. If you've ever had a little bit of anxiety, a little concern here and that, and some of you are dishonest in church, you don't raise your hand, or you're, you're thinking you're volunteering for the nursery right now, whatever it might be, is that 
This is a common experience for all of us. There are times where we are, we are filled with worry or anxiety. And so he talks to them about things that they ought to be aware of in terms of God's antidote to worry. And we're going to see that in a moment. But let me just share this. As you think about the life that God has called us to live, um, and if we apply his principles, we would say if we're following him, no matter what our circumstances are, our life is going to be better than it would be. might not be easier, but it's better. It's awesome, but not easy. Uh, we would think that it would enhance our life. And as you think about that, there are a lot of ways to try and enhance your life. I was looking at a, a study that I, I've, I just discovered has been going on since 2008. And w- what is the happiest state in the Union, the, the United States, to live in? Have you ever looked at one of those uh, surveys? And it's been going on th- since 2008. And I was, I was kind of, being a native Californian, I was, I, was looking, I was looking with anticipation that California would be on that list. But it wasn't quite on that list in terms of the top. Uh, here are the top six, and the reason I put top six is you'll find out in a moment. The top six states which are advertised as the happiest states to live in. Number one, South Dakota. Number two, Vermont. In fact, actually they were tied. South Dakota and Vermont had the, I don't know who did the survey or whatever it might be. The third was Hawaii. Um, Allegra just got back from Hawaii. She was suffering for Jesus in Hawaii for five days. and She had a nice tan. Did you see the tan she got? Anyway... <laughs> Anyway, uh, the, fourth, the fourth state was Minnesota. Uh, the fifth one was North Dakota. And then sixthly was Colorado. Interesting, that's a little bit above a little trivia on states that are happy to live in, is that since 2008, uh, in the top 10 states, and there's still 50 states, right, in, in the United States, uh, Hawaii and Colorado have been in the top 10 every single year since 2008. Now, there's a little bit of background as far as what makes a state happy to live in, uh, what is common in that particular area where people populate. Uh, Number one, uh, many of them are in good physical health. They eat a healthy diet. They feel safe and proud of their communities, and they manage their finances well. They went on and said this, that many would advertise this, particularly in South Dakota, that there's little significant stress on any day, and they enjoy a lot of supportive relationships and love in their lives. Now, in case you're thinking about moving in the near future, here's a couple places you don't want to go to. In fact, here's five. Uh, don't go to Oklahoma, which is number 46. 47 is Mississippi. 48 is Arkansas. 49 is Louisiana. And number 50 is West Virginia. In fact, another little trivia on what's the happiest place it's to live in is um, West Virginia is hit hit the bottom every single year since they've had that survey. Now, what's interesting to me as I look at that is I, I know some people who, who live in those various states, and, and, and that has not been their experience. They're enjoying life. They, they, they see the purpose in life, and they, they, uh, they're looking forward to each day that, that God brings in their life. And, and I think the reason is that because no matter where you live, and it might not be the ideal place, wherever you think the ideal place is, but if you have the one who is the giver of life living through you, no matter what you encounter, you can experience life in its fullness. In fact, I, I think Jesus said that in one of his more familiar verses or statements. He said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. And he said that to some people that were going to have their life, the temperature of the life, raised. Because they who were following him in many ways with with not a whole lot of stress in their life, but once Jesus was to be put on the cross and, and they would announce the news about he is 
the Lord. He is the one who came to rescue us. Persecution came upon them in great ways. But they would not trade their life with Jesus for anything else this life could offer. And what I want to share with you is he was preparing his disciples to follow him. And this is a section in which he talked about worry. That, that he wants us to be able to, to, to respond to life no matter what comes our way. With a sense of trust and confidence that God is always in control. So what I want to do is talk a little bit about worry. Then I want to look at the passage this morning. And we'll try to get through as much as we can as we look at it. As I was thinking about worry, I was thinking, first of all, in fact, in my younger days, I used to, you know, if... If I was worrying or somebody else was worrying, I'd, I'd tell myself or tell somebody else, stop sinning, you know. Will you stop sinning? You're worrying, you know. Have you ever come to someone who is filled with anxiety and say, will you stop worrying? It usually doesn't come across too well for them. They don't think you're too sensitive. And, and so I was thinking, well, why is, why is worry such a, a statement in Scripture that we ought to not experience in any great regularity? Because it, it really does picture us not trusting at any moment. But the reason God tells us not to worry is because that is a common experience, isn't it? And, and really, I, I've now come to this point, and I don't want to get cycle, I don't, have, I don't want to kind of sound like a cycle babble person. But, but I want to say this. I think there, that worry in many ways is, a, is simply an emotion. And the issue is not whether you have the emotion of worry, is when you do become overwhelmed with a sense of anxiety or worry, what do you do with it? It's the same thing like when you look at other things like fear. We all have fear. and In fact, uh, what's interesting in the Bible, uh, there, are, there are verses. There's 365 verses that says, do not be afraid. You know, one for each day. But why does God say that so many times? Because so many times we are what? Afraid. And so it's not that we're not going to have fear. It's not that we're not going to have worry or just even take angry anger. It's not that we're never going to get ang- angry. Is What do you do with it when, once you are kind of overwhelmed by that emotion? And, and that, that's, that's the challenge of life is when we go through life, what do we do when we encounter life? And so here's some things I want to talk about. But before I do that, I want to kind of back up a little bit in, in where we've been. I just talked about that last week we talked about the truth about money. And it was all about greed. And I want to make a connection between greed and worry. What you believe really does matter. Number one, greed is believing you can never get enough. See, it's not money that is the root of all evil, but if the love of money controls you, you're always wanting just a little bit what? More. Until you get more, your life is consumed with that which you don't have. What is worry? Worry is believing you may not have enough. See how those are related? Greed is looking, thinking you need just a little bit more. You don't... Uh, is when you never get enough, and worry is believing you may not have enough. Worry is the emotional reward of being preoccupied with your circumstances. Isn't that true? You, you just you, whatever's going on, it's, it's just consuming. And there is a reward of that, or a result of that, is that you will be filled with anxiety. Godly gratefulness and generosity is believing that Christ gives you all that you need, and, and that's the settling of your life. In Philippians 4.19, it says this, And my God will supply most of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Is that what it says? It says, My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know, if you get more than you have, that's great. But if you get less than you have and lose some of the things you do have, 
that's okay as well because God will supply all of your needs in Christ Jesus. And so there's a settling of that. Worry is a common emotion to everyone, like fear, anger, and temptation. You can't fully avoid it, but how will you respond when you experience it? Will your emotions control you, or will you choose to have God give you control in your emotions? See, it's like you know, the proverbial, you know, when you get angry. You know, if I'm, I'm working outside, actually this happened yesterday, is, uh, you know, and I was painting something, and uh, I was holding it was a, kind of a, it was a small pint of, of, actually it was, well, we won't go on, you don't need all the details, but anyway, I had it in my hand, and I was painting something, and I, and I was just about finished, and I was leaning over, and I, pour, I, I dropped the paint can, and it went everywhere. Now, I, I want to tell you that the, my emotions at that point were all positive, okay, can I, can I experience that? Okay, <laughs> now, now, <laughs> So the, the, the emotion of anger or frustration or just, you know, you, know, you, you start self-talking. You're talking about how stupid you are and how foolish you are. You weren't careful enough. You were trying to do it too fast. Whatever you might want to call it, all right? All right. Now, that's just a natural response for doing something you probably should not have been, been more careful not to do it. But the issue is what, what did I do with it? And the only reason I'm telling this story because this particular story came out okay. Okay, I, I, didn't, I didn't take... There was a hammer close to me. I didn't take a hammer and throw it through a window. You know, that, that could have been a response for my anger. I, you know, I didn't take another can and throw it, <laughs> you know, and spill it. it. Is what do you do when you do get angry? What do you do when you get frustrated? You, either you turn to God or you turn away from God. You, you, you decide, I'm not going to let it control my behavior and actions. And then all of a sudden that, that anger, that frustration dissipates. And as we think about worry, those things that will preoccupy who we are, the anxiety of what, what, what just overwhelms us, what, what God is trying to tell, and we're going to see it in a moment, is look at, if, if you look at life and, and you can learn to trust in the midst of when things go wrong, then you can have control over your emotions because your, your God can control you. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, this is the challenge for us all. Be anxious for how many things? Nothing. Now, anxiety will, will raise up in your life, but at that point, you want to choose to not let anxiety or worry overwhelm you. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. At that point, you fire up a prayer and say, God, I, at least uh, I'm thankful that the, the paint didn't land on my head. I don't care what you want to call it. You know, there are there a lot of ways it could have been worse. And, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your heart's in your minds in Christ Jesus. And so what, what Jesus was about, and we're going to see this in a moment, to prepare his disciples to follow him and prepare them for their future in which their lives would be put on the, on the line for him, is look, at, don't let your emotions be overwhelmed by wondering where God is when things don't turn out like you want them to turn out. Re- realize that, that God is always in control. And if you've ever taken list of, of things that people are worried about, I was looking at one list, and the top six, it was interesting enough, three of them were just finances re- reworded, whether it was job security, you know, how to deal with you know, credit card debt, to how to pay my bills, and the top six was related to finances. And that's pretty basic, because sometimes if you, if you don't have enough, you think, well, what, where is it going to come next? And, and the others were related to health. If... if if any of you, you know, many of you will take flu shots and, you know, my, I'm not here to talk about flu shots, but 
is that as you think about certain things you could get, does worrying about it help? I forget who I was talking to this weekend. I don't know if it was Karen who was sharing about someone, you know, 32 days having the flu or some kind of a, someone was telling me about that. And I'm thinking, 32 days? I'd go crazy if I had the flu for 32 days. But worrying about whether I'll get a 32-day flu is not going to help me, right? So, uh, in fact, I was, I was reading, I got to show you. You know, people a lot more creative than me have said a lot more creative things about, about worry and this is what, um, if I can find where I wrote this. George McDonald said this. No man over sank under the burden of the day. It is when tomorrow's burden is added to the burdens of the day that the weight is more than a man can bear. Isn't that true? You know, if, you, if you're worried about tomorrow, you're going to be overwhelmed. The, the, you know, Jesus said that in Matthew 6.34. Like, today's problems are enough. Don't add tomorrow's problems because that will choke the life out of you and you'll be effective not, you will be ineffective to the people around you and you'll be ineffective for God as well. Well, let's look at Luke chapter 12 and see what Jesus said directly to his followers as he was preparing them for what was going to be happening real soon in their life as Jesus was going to head to the cross and, and that's basically what we're doing now. We're, we're heading toward Jesus making the ultimate sacrifice for us. And in Luke chapter 12, we pick up the account in verse uh, 20, 22. And he, this is Jesus, said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. And the reason he said for this reason, he had just talked to him about that man who was prosperous, and there's nothing wrong with being prosperous, but all he could do was think about himself. In fact, interesting, if you look at the text and you look at it analytically, he uses like 12 personal pronouns. He uses my four times and I eight times. My, 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 I, 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 I. So you get the idea it was all about who? It was all about him. And that's where we get in trouble when we think that life is all about us, isn't it? And because of that, because he was, he was worried, well, I've got all this stuff. I want to make sure I, I have enough of it to enjoy and enjoy it to its max. So he's building bigger and bigger barns, not thinking about anybody else but himself. And that is a, a, a portion of what worry is all about. When we're, we're worried, are we going to take advantage of whatever is around us? And so he tells his followers, he said, for this reason I say to you, and you can't control what's going on. This man's life ended suddenly. So do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. So we're going to look at just some basic things that Jesus said don't worry about. Number one, don't worry about food. God provides for ravens, and you are more important than birds. And that's what he says in verse 24. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable, valuable are you than birds? And so as Jesus speaks about life, he says, I, I just want to take some things that you, can, that you all see and can perceive as far as what's happening. And he said, look at all those birds, okay? You know, they don't look very worrisome out there. They're not filled with anxiety. They don't have a lot of things under their own control. In fact, if you look at ravens, and I'm not a raven expert. I'm not a bird expert. I, I found out that Ken over there, he, he just loves birds. But, but uh, the, the, I've heard that birds, which are kind of like crows, 
Is that right? Ravens are kind of like crows. I never even knew that, and I, I looked up this week a little bit about crows, and I, I found out these birds that are so exasperating to me that come at 4 o'clock in the morning at our house and just sing. Well, they don't sing. I don't know what that is. It's not singing. I'm not calling that singing. But they, fortunately, I'm already awake at 4 o'clock in the morning, but they wake up every, anybody else in our house, okay? Is that you know, Jesus said, look at those ravens, and he says, well, how do they survive? Now, I've heard that they are a really smart bird. In fact, I, was, I heard that from other people. I didn't believe it, so I looked it up on Google, and if Google says it, it must be true. So they're very, they're very smart birds, and it is true that they can actually learn how to talk a little bit. That's, someone said that. I didn't believe that either. But, um, but anyway, I think that was John Aldridge who told me that the, the, the crows can actually talk. And I said, no, they're not parrots. They're not parrots, but they, they can talk. It is that as you look at ravens, they, they are considered an intelligent bird. They're they're a bird that I wonder why God created. But anyway, God created the ravens. And, and they don't, they're basically scavengers. They, they, they don't store. They don't, they don't create their food. I mean, they're not, they're not, uh, they're basically taking food that somebody else has killed. And he says, look at, look at all those ravens that God just cares for. They don't, have a, they don't really think of worry in the world. They just go out and take what's left. They scavenger around. They don't store it per se. They just enjoy it. And, and what Jesus is trying to say to all of us, it's what's called the, the, the argument from the, the lesser to the greater. The ravens, and, and hopefully you're not a person who, well, no, I shouldn't say that. It, is if, if you're a raven lover, then I just confess my sin before you because I don't like ravens. But anyway... But I would submit, the Bible is very clear, that you are much greater than a raven. Ravens are created by God, but people are created in his image. And so if he's going to care for these little birds with big wingspans, how much more will he care for you? I, I was reading this past week from... A resource um, by a pastor that I have met, R. R. Kent Hughes, and he was writing this in his writings on the Gospel of Luke, and he said this. said, the robin to the sparrow. I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think it must be they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. I ho hope that would not be true for us as we think about our anxiety, our life of worry. And, and, and you can't control worry and anxiety. It will, it will raise its ugly head. But when that comes upon my life and your life, who do we turn to? Who do we decide to trust in when we're in situations that, if we're really honest, we can't control? And if we can't control, there's a limited amount of our ability to control. But when that happens, we just turn to our Heavenly Father who is in control. So what should we not worry about? I would consider food pretty essential. And God says, look, if, if I'm willing to feed the birds, I'll feed you as well. But then he goes on and he, he describes another area. Not only should we not be afraid of food, in verse 25... He says this, in which you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan. 
But if you then cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters as well? So we need to be honest that not only we shouldn't worry about food, we shouldn't really worry about our lifespan. God is the author of life, and let's be honest, he's also the author or the one who controls death. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, it says this, There is a point in time for everything, and there's a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die. And we as Christians, we really believe, and it's either true or not, for us to, to really to live as Christ and actually die as gain. It's going to be better for us when we are in the physical presence of God in that place he's prepared for his children. And it will be some kind of a glorified expression of who we are. But it's going to be so much better when we're with him. And sometimes we spend much more time praying for people to stay here on earth than we spend time praying for people to get to heaven. Isn't that true? How much time do we spend praying for those who don't know Jesus? That they would come to know Jesus. But we fill our prayer list with people who are physically struggling and we're we're trying to get them out of out of heaven in some ways they graduate now i think we ought to when i get sick you can pray for me but i'm going to quit praying for you no is that i'm not saying we shouldn't pray for people who are sick but we ought to be praying that for graduation that people would come to know him and worrying about it never helps anyway and so when we get concerned about physical things recognize that it's not going to help us to, to spend a lot of time doing it. So we turn to him. We turn to him. In James chapter 4, verses 13 and 15, it really kind of speaks about the everyday life of that, too, in terms of our life. And, and, and it's talking about an individual in James chapter 4 who's making all these plans about what's going to ha- happen. And at the end of that, in verse 15, he simply says this. Whenever you make plans, decide this. If the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. It's all right to make plans, but realize the great plans that you make don't always come to pass. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28, he says this. He says, oh, oh by the way, it's a point for men to, to die once, and after this comes judgment. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, 8, he talks about bodily discipline. It, it profits a little, but godliness is a means of great gain. And, and, and quite frankly, it's good not only for this present life, but also for the life to come. And so as we think about feeding in our lives, we, we want to live a healthy life. And so whatever we can do physically to be healthy is great. But when we're spiritually healthy, that's when life takes on a whole other dimension. In fact, it's interesting. In earlier when we looked at it last week in James chapter, I mean Luke chapter 12, it says, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even one, when one has an abundance, does his life consist of his possessions. I don't always use a lot of Greek in, in the messages, but when he says your life does not consist in what you own, there, there's a couple of Greek words for life. One is bios, from what we get biology, which is the physical functioning of our, our body. But he doesn't use that word. He uses the word zoe, which is the whole description of, of life beyond just the mechanical part of it, but living life as it meant to be lived in terms of experiencing the, the joys of life. And the joys of our life are not dependent upon how much we have, but what we, do we do with what we have? And so what should we not worry about? We shouldn't worry about food. We shouldn't worry about lifespan. And, and then he goes on 
and talks about we shouldn't worry about clothing. Look at verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. In your outlines this morning, I put First King, uh, Kings chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. And that's the story of Queen Sheba, the queen of the south, coming to visit Solomon, and he didn't, she didn't believe the rumors about Solomon and all that he had, and, and, and she left being amazed about the food he ate. But not only that, she was amazed how his servants were dressed. <laughs> this is incredible. Your servants dress better than anybody I know. And, and he, what he's saying here, to G, Jesus saying to, to his listeners there and us as well, when you consider Solomon, all this glory, how he clothed himself and his servants, it doesn't compare to the beauty of creation. Isn't that true? The, the, those of you who have had the privilege and love to travel, you, you, you see things out in God's creation. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, uh, it, it's just the beauty of the colors he's able to produce and, and flowers or birds or animals. The, the yellows, yellows are more yellow than you can imagine. The blues are more blue. The reds are more reds. And it's, it's Jesus' handiwork. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? Now, th- think about that for a moment. Y- you think of the beauty of the flower, and I don't know how your family was, but m- my dad was very practical, and so whenever he brought flowers home to my mom, he- it was never cut flowers because he thought that was a waste. It was always a plant, right? Because that's still growing, okay? But th- think of the flower industry. We, we, you know, cut flowers and did, did all of you remember there was Valentine's Day this last week? Okay, Is that, you know, you, you get the flowers, and they, I know they put a little stuff in the water, and it'll stay along a little bit longer. But once you put those flowers in the water that cut, they, they don't last, what, forever, right? They, they just die. And that beauty that you see is no longer beautiful. And yet God paints those flowers, clothes them for beauty that, that only lasts a moment, but what's unique about people is that we will last forever. And so, again, a, an argument from the lesser to the greater, if, if God clothes the flowers who, who aren't going to la- last very long, in fact, in Israel, if you go to Israel, there, there aren't a whole lot of trees there. It's a pretty, you know, it's, it's, there's not a lot of trees. And so often when they would to put fuel in their ovens or fireplaces, it was just grass. They say this beautiful plant that you see, which is more beautiful than anything that you can create, it's beauty for a moment, and then it's simply thrown in the furnace. And if God brings beauty to something that temporary, how much more beauty will he give to you? You men of little faith, and, and do you not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. And so what was he saying? Look at, your worry is common to everybody. And so if you're going to know me and follow me, your worry ought to take on a a different look. You are going to experience worry, but when you do worry, you should turn to me and realize, look, I'm going to provide for you food. I'm going to provide for your life. I I will measure your time frame, your time span, your lifespan, and I will clothe you. And let's be honest, are there things to worry about in this world? Of course there are. I mean, all all you have to do is read the news every week. Nicholas Cruz charged with killing 17 people at Parkland Majority Stoneman Douglas High School. 
17 people lost their life because someone decided that he would take their life. And it's an amazing story about this Nicholas Cruz. I was reading about that. There was a family that took him in. Did you read that? The Sneeds. Their son knew him, this Nicholas Cruz, and his mom had died of pneumonia on November 1st. And so this past Thanksgiving, they, they, their son said, can he live in our home because he, he doesn't have any parents now. And so they brought him into the home, and they, they saw some of the things that were a little bit strange, but they said he, he seemed to be progressing. He, he, he seemed to be more happy than he used to be. But then one day he woke up and 17 people died as a result of choices he made. Could, could that happen to any of us or any ones in our family? And some of you have had that with the experience in Las Vegas. Should, should that bring concern? It brings concern and there's a sense of anxiety or dread. But will your worry or anxiety change anything? There are some, some things you could use as safeguards, but, but what are you saying here? Is look at when worry comes, turn to me and trust. Even earlier this morning, I read in Iran, there was a commercial airline that, that went into a mountain and all 66 passengers died. Can, can bad things happen? Do bad things happen? Of course they do. And, and that's why we need to have a bigger perspective on life. If this all there is to life, then, then we better worry about every single moment in our life. But if this, is, this life is just like a vapor, it's here today and gone tomorrow, then, then our life is settled for eternity, isn't it? And, and, and these worries that are common to everybody, they, they will bring concerns in our life, but then all of a sudden we turn to Him and we trust Him. Because no matter what happens to us, good or bad, God is in control. And what does it mean to turn to him? And I'll close with these passages. Verse 31, he says this, but seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to. And what he's saying is all the essentials in your life, these will be brought to you sovereignly according to my will. Do not be afraid. Again, he says, don't be afraid. Don't worry, don't be afraid. Because we all are filled with fear at times. We're all filled with worry. Little flock, and he used that term of endearment. For your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. And, and again, he, he speaks from the lesser to the greater. What we see in this life, and I hope you enjoy what you have in this life. In fact, actually, that's what he talked about last week. In, your, in fact, you looked at those passages in the Bible study last week in your small groups. Is God has given us things to enjoy. But whatever we enjoy here in this part of life won't be comparable to what is coming next we get to share in god's eternal kingdom his eternal rule where everything happens precisely according to his plan it look it's looking forward to what's next and if you're looking forward to it you're investing in it sell your possessions and give to charity make yourself money belts which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will be also he, he, he doesn't he's not really saying here get rid of everything but what he's saying here is simply this and again it's it's just it's the the 
the, the statement to rattle their cages. Don't hold on to what you have so tightly that that's your source of joy. That's why Paul said, and he couldn't say this if it didn't, if it didn't apply to all of us. You know, I've learned to, to enjoy things where I've got a little or a lot. If you have a lot, enjoy it. If you have little, enjoy it. Because life is more than your possessions. That's what Zoe, the fullness of life is. It's not about what is the consuming total of, of what you have. It's, it's who you are and whose you are. Our joy is found in a person in the Lord. And they were going to have to know that because if you look at the, the 11 apostles, Judas left early. You know, 10 out of the 11 suffered martyrs' death for following Jesus. Now, that's something to worry about, isn't it? But not if you realize, look, I get God's kingdom. And so we always want to be investing however God leads us and what's really important. Because that's, that's just a reminder. That's where our treasure is. That's where our joy is. That's where our opportunity to not be overwhelmed by anxiety and worry. After it comes, we turn to Him. We trust Him. I, I put it this way in your outline. You know, what happens, and basically the, the message, if I had structured it in the way I put it in your outlines, how, how do we deal with worry? There's a don't and a do. The don't is... Choose not to worry. The do is put Christ first. Well, what does that mean to put Christ first? What does it mean to seek first his kingdom? As Matthew says, and uh, all these, seek first his kingdom and all these things shall be added unto you. Invite Christ to be at the center of everything you do in all that is happening to you. So everything we're about, we want to, we want to bring him into it. He's part of whatever we're experiencing in. And so when it happens, whether it be major or minor that upsets you, put him involved in it. Get put him at the center of what's going on. In Colossians 3.17, it says this. Whatever you do, do heartily as for the Lord. Do it in his name. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And this is the part that I I, I work... <laughs> I desire to pursue more. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Well, often I'm not acknowledging him and what I'm involved doing or what's happened to me or to others. But I, I want to acknowledge that he, he's still in control or he's still, he's still with me, whatever's going on. And, and whether it's my life, and too often we center only on our lives, but whether it's the tragedy of Florida or the tragedy in Iran, is we acknowledge that God is still in control. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, count it all joy when you encounter various good things in life, right? Consider all joy when you encounter various trials in your life. Knowing that the testing of your, your faith produces endurance, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Psalm 16, In the presence of the Lord, is fullness of joy. Not, not whether you're living in South Dakota, Vermont, North Dakota, Colorado, Hawaii, but in the presence of the Lord, because the Lord can go with you everywhere. Now, is this easy to do? Is it, do, I, do I live this all the time? Of course not. But that's, that's the game plan. 
And that was the game plan that Jesus gave them as, as Luke records for us and for them. It's, it's not only some things you know, need to know about Jesus, but how to live for him and be ready to speak for him. So, so I close with this. What's the so what? What do you do when you worry? You're, you're going to worry. You're, you're going to experience fear. You're going to experience at times um, the challenges of life. We will experience them on a daily basis. But when it happens, what Jesus is telling us, okay, just come to me. Trust me. Put my future for you in light of what's happening to you now. And everything that you see will, will now come into focus. Not that you will understand it completely. But you'll realize I am in control. In the end, you'll see it all played out when my kingdom comes. Let's pray together. Father, some of the straightforward, simplest things that Jesus taught his disciples and teach, teaches us as well are are the ones that are so challenging but also encouraging to live out. And Father, I would pray that we would be a people that experience your presence in such a deep way that when worry comes, we, we rush to trust you. And maybe there's someone here this morning that has never made that first step of faith. And, and we pray that they might understand that simplicity but power of the gospel, that God really does love us and is able to provide for us but we live in a messed up world because we've we've messed up we've sinned we have rebelled and rejected your plan for our life so that's why jesus came he came to clean up the mess in our lives to forgive us of our sin and he paid the penalty for our sin on the cross but then we must make a choice are we going to turn to you or are we just going to keep on living our life according to our own plan and I would invite people today to just to turn their lives over to Jesus, to trust Him by faith and say, Jesus, I know that you are, you are who you claim to be, the one who is the God who became man, who died for me and rose again on my behalf. And when we put our trust and confidence in you, you'll, you'll place us in your eternal family. And for us who have made that step before, I just really pray that this in a new and fresh way, we choose to trust you during the worries of life the fears of life, the challenges of life. So as we go through the things that can trip us up, we turn to the one who is always in control. As we continue to worship you this day and as we worship you through giving and in praise and song, might this be the reflection of our love for you. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.